Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Okay, well good morning everybody. Contrary to what some of you may think, I am not a guest preacher here. Um, I have been away for a little while on a sabbatical in June and July, and so again, thank you to the congregation and to uh, our session for allowing that time for me and my wife to get away, and um, <clears throat> really happy to be back and, and very excited to be bringing the word to you this morning. So why don't you pick up your Bibles and open them to the book of Genesis. If you did not bring a Bible, that's okay because we have paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. You should be able to locate one. You can open it up to page 5. We're in Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> uh, if, you're, uh, if you don't own a Bible and you'd like to have a Bible, go ahead and take that paperback Bible home with you. We would love for you to have it. Uh, so feel free to do that. Um, I've actually been back here in the office for a couple of weeks, but I wasn't here this past Sunday because I conducted a wedding out in Colorado Springs for Becca Vukovic. Some of you might remember Becca. She was here for a few years. Um, and so that went really well. That was this past weekend. And something interesting happened, and that is that I was able to uh, ride in a Tesla when I was there. Uh, one of the persons who came to pick me up at my hotel arrived in a Tesla. And uh, so I don't know if you know much about a Tesla. There are these electric cars. They're, they're self-driving. And uh, so I got to talk to the owner of this Tesla. It's a pretty impressive vehicle for sure. Uh, some go like zero to 60 in a second and a half. <laughs> and uh, the guy was telling me that, you know, if you go to the grocery store and your Tesla is parked out in the parking lot, you can actually call on it to automatically drive out of its parking place and come and pick you up at the door. Uh, and, and it will do that. And he said that uh, you can actually also, like, program into it that you want to go to Starbucks. So you just pro program that in, and the car will actually drive you to Starbucks. And he told me that there are some people who own Teslas who actually will kind of get in the back seat and just crawl up and lie down while the car drives them to their destination. Um, now, I'm not sure that that's the wisest thing to do. Uh, and in fact, the owner of the Tesla said it's, it's not advised, and actually what the Tesla wants is for the driver to sit there and actually have his hands or her hands on the steering wheel. Uh, even though the car is driving by itself, and if you take your hands off the wheel for, you know, 30 seconds or so, it starts beeping at you and wants you to put your hands back on the wheel so the car knows somebody's in the driver's seat. Um, but not everybody does that. This guy said, yeah, some people just crawl up in the back seat, and I guess they drive by faith, we could say. They drive by faith. Um, as Christians, we don't drive by faith. <laughs> Uh, we live by faith, though, don't we? And we walk by faith. Uh, in fact, this is what characterizes our life, you know, maybe more than anything else. What characterizes a believer in Jesus? We are people who walk by faith. We are people of faith. If you are a male Christian, you are a man of faith. If you are a female Christian, you are a woman of faith. If you are a young boy or a girl, you are a child of faith. We are committed to the Christian faith, it is called. In 2 Corinthians 5, we are told to walk by faith, not by sight. The world tells us 
Only believe what you see, but the book of Hebrews says faith is the conviction of things that are not seen. And the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You cannot please God apart from the exercise of faith. One person said the Christians are not people of the eye, but people of the ear. By that, he means that we are people who hear the word and believe what God has said and walk by faith in this world. Now, if there's one person in the Bible who can be summed up as a man of faith, of course, there's many men and women of faith in the Bible, but Abraham is in particular known as a great man of faith. And so we are beginning a new sermon series here this morning on the life of Abraham. Now, really what we're doing here is just picking up where we left off in our sermon series on Genesis. So we've been in Genesis for uh, many months. We took a break and did a sermon series on prayer, and then Pastor Brian's been preaching on Elijah, and we had some other guest preachers. So we haven't been in Genesis in a long time, but that's really what we're doing, just picking up in Genesis where we left off in chapter 12. But because like the next 13, 14 chapters are all about Abraham, um, we're going to call this The Life of Abraham, a kind of semi-new series on this man. So you might recall where we left off was at the end of chapter 11, which was the building of the Tower of Babel. And so here you have humanity coming together in their unbelief and in their rebellion against God, wanting to make a great name for themselves. They build the Tower of Babel. And here in chapter 12, we see God intervening in response to this rebellion of humanity. And what he's going to do here is he's going to call one man out of the world to himself. And from that one man is going to come one nation. And from that one nation is going to come one Savior that is going to be the hope of the entire world. And that whole redemptive project begins right here in chapter 12. And so let's read chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Genesis 12, 1 through 9, page 5 of your paperback Bibles. And here's how the Word reads. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward 
the Negev. Father, please open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So one clarifying thing I want to say, probably most of you know this, but uh, this is the life of Abraham. You'll notice that the guy in our text is called Abram. Well, those are the same people. Uh, Abraham's name will be changed later on. We'll get to that in a few chapters. Uh, Abram, Abraham, same person. So what does it look like to walk by faith? If you're a Christian, that's what you're called to do. Walk by faith in this life. And there's three things that are pretty clear in this text that characterize the person who walks by faith. And one of them is simply this, the person who walks by faith believes the word. Believe the word. Well, whose word? Christians like to talk a lot about the word. Well, well, whose word is it? Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said, it's God's word. We believe the word that God speaks. It's very interesting. The very beginning of Genesis, chapter 1, it says, God said, let there be light. Creation occurred through God's word. And now we have a project of redemption starting here, and it also starts with God speaking. The Lord said, just like Genesis 1-3, the Lord said. And God speaks this word, you see, to Abram. And what he does in these first three verses is he speaks a blessing to Abram, and he promises a blessing through Abram. So those are the two things we want to consider here in the first point. First of all, the blessing to Abram. Here's what God says, verse 2, to Abram. Abram, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. That's the blessing to Abram. Abram, I'm going to make your name last throughout history. I'm going to make you famous is one way we could read this. This is God's promise to Abram. I'm going to make your name great. Now, we might ask the question here now, about 3,000 years after these events took place, did this actually happen? Was Abram's name made great? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, think of this. The three major religions in the world, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all claim Abraham as a patriarch. He's at the center of the world's three biggest religions. Now, that raises the question of whether we all worship the same God. That's a different question we're not getting into now. But nonetheless, all these three religions look to Abraham as kind of a founder of their religion. The promise here also is that God's going to make Abram into a great nation. That nation is the nation of Israel, and we'll see how that unfolds. But even consider the nation of Israel today. And how the nation of Israel matches up against so many other people groups we read in the Bible. For instance, have you ever met a Hittite or a Jebusite or an Amorite today? Have you gone into a big city and gone to a Jebusite restaurant? Um, No, you probably haven't because those people groups don't exist anymore. But the nation of Israel does. And even more importantly, the offspring, spiritual offspring of Israel and the church of Jesus Christ certainly does. God did make Abram's name great. Even if you're hearing about him for the very first time this morning, and I know that's possible, but if so, you've been missing out because Abraham is a major, enormous, historical figure that everybody ought to know about. And certainly every Christian ought to know about. 
You know, Bill Gates is famous. Yeah, LeBron James is famous. Taylor Swift, these are big names in our day, but none of those names is as big as the name of Abraham of the Scriptures. And so God has made this promise, and it has come true in making His name great. So the second thing, though, we see here is that God has made a promise of a blessing through Abram. So let's look back at verse 3. Well, end of verse 2, uh, he says, you will be a blessing. It's not just that you'll be blessed, you're going to be a blessing. And then verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram, I'm going to use you to bless the entire world. And so, once again, this is the plan. God calls one man. Through the one man comes one nation, Israel. Through one nation comes one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the gospel goes forth and says that anybody from any nation, any tribe, any tongue, anybody in the world can receive the great blessings of salvation from God through simple faith and repentance in this great Savior. All the world, all the families of the earth blessed through Abraham. So we have a very kind of narrow, particular solution to a problem, that is the Tower of Babel being built in rebellion against God. It's a narrow solution, one man, one nation, one Savior. But it's a solution with very wide, universal, global effects that everybody in the world would bow their knee to Jesus. Now, in order for this to happen, that is for one man to produce one nation from whom one nation will come one savior, that nation is going to have to be preserved, protected. And so that's why God says at the start of verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. So what God is saying to Israel is, you know, if people come along and they're going to be friendly to you, Israel, I'm going to bless them. But if people come along and give Israel a hard time, I'm going to curse them. And you'll see that play out throughout the Old Testament. But we do need to be careful about applying that too specifically to our current political situation. I don't think it would be a wise interpretation of this to say in our current day that whoever might attack modern-day Israel, that God will curse them. And the reason why is because there is a fulfillment of Israel in the church of Jesus Christ, which I just alluded to, in which Galatians 3 says very clearly here, if you are Christ's, that is, if you are a Christian, then you are Abram's offspring and heirs according to the promise. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're the offspring of Abraham. The church is now the fulfillment of all that was promised to Israel. And so the promise today, I think how we can interpret it today, is that whoever seeks to destroy the church of Jesus Christ will come under the curse of God. No one, no matter how big the military, no matter how large the nation, no nation seeking to snuff out the church will succeed. It won't happen. There are many places in the world where Christians are under attack from hostile governments, but in the end, the nation that seeks to destroy the church will itself come under the curse of God. I mean, the USSR might be an example of that. Remember, the USSR was a world power for a while, a very atheistic regime, and now it's just a moment in history. Vanished. 
So, here's God's promise to Abram. I'm going to bless you, Abram, and there's also going to be this great blessing through you. And so the question here is, will Abraham believe what God has said to him? Will he believe? That's the drama. And the reason why that is such a tense kind of questionable issue is because of some of the circumstances here. And that is that when God makes this promise to Abraham, he must have thought, that's impossible, God. Because, verse 4 tells us, Abram was 75 years old. And if you go back to um, 1130, you'll see that Sarah was barren. She had no child. She couldn't bear children. Abraham's 75. She has, he has a wife with no, that can't bear children. And now God says, from you is going to come this great nation. Well, if you're going to have a nation, you're going to have to have descendants. And how can you have descendants when you're 75 and your wife can't have children? And yet that's the promise. That's what God says is going to happen. And so that's the tension. Will, will Abraham believe? Will he believe even when the promise seems impossible? And friends, that's the challenge to all of us today, isn't it? Because God speaks to us today. Maybe not like he spoke to Abraham, but we read here in Hebrews 1 long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, our fathers, that would include Abraham. God spoke to Abraham, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. He's spoken to us in a different way, through Jesus Christ, His words being recorded in the New Testament, the apostles fleshing out what Jesus taught. That's how we hear God speak today, through the Word. And some of the things we read in the Bible seem hard to believe, don't they? But here's the question, do you believe them? Do you believe, for instance, that one day you will have a resurrected body? That after you pass away and your body is buried, that the day is going to come when it's going to rise up out of the grave and you'll be living forever in a fully glorified physical body. Do you believe that? I mean, I know you're all nodding your head, yeah, I'm supposed to believe that, but I'm asking, do you really believe that? It's a hard thing to believe. Maybe not any harder than what Abraham was called to believe. How about when the Scripture promises that God will always provide a way of escape for you whenever you face temptation? No matter what temptation you're facing, it's a hard temptation, and you've fallen to it repeatedly over and over again. The promise of God is God will always provide a way of escape for you. You don't have to submit to your temptations. Do you believe that? How about when God says He will supply your every need Everything you need in this life, He will give to you. might seem hard to believe, but it's true. How about when God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You've been hurt, you've been offended, you want to get your revenge. God says, don't get your revenge, I'll get revenge for you. Do you believe that? Will you trust Him to do that, or do you take vengeance into your own hands? How about when the Scripture says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain? What you do in service to the church and to others is not in vain. No one's thanked you for it. No one noticed it. It seems like it was in vain. Nobody's coming to your Bible study. You don't get any credit for what you do, and you're thinking it's in vain. No, it's not. God's Word says your labor for the Lord is never in vain. Do you believe that? And how about just the gospel promise that if you 
confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All of your sins, all of your transgressions, everything you've ever done to offend anybody, and in particular to offend God, if you trust in Jesus, he will wipe them all away and remove your guilt as far as the east is from the west. Do you believe that? I know you nod your head, yeah, I'm supposed to believe that. But sometimes the way we live suggests that we don't believe that as we carry guilt and shame through our life. Forgiveness is offered to you in Jesus. So believe the word. That's one of the characteristics of being a person of faith. You believe what God says. So the second thing is this that we see in Abram's life. Here's how a person walks by faith. He or she obeys the commands of God. Now, we might ask the question here as we think of Abraham's life, did he believe? I mean, did he? How do we know that? It doesn't actually say Abraham believed. It says that later in chapter 15, but it doesn't say that here. So did he believe? And the answer is, yes, he believed. And we know that he believed because he obeyed. So look at verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, and here's the command, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So that's the command. And then look at verse 4, so Abram went. (laughs) I love that verse, it's just so simple. God says go, so Abram went. Apparently without any hesitation, apparently without any skepticism or doubt or further questions, yeah, but God, here, let's sit down and talk about this first and then I'll consider whether I do what you tell me to do. Nope, God commanded, Abram went as the Lord told him. You see, always in the Christian life, the evidence of faith is your obedience. Genuine faith is never absent of obedience. Hebrews 11 says this, by faith, Abram, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. But it's through his faith he obeyed. The evidence of his faith is his obedience. This is so important to understand in the Christian life. It's so easy to get confused. Friends, we're not saved by our obedience to the commands. Nobody is saved by trying their hardest to obey. You can't do it. You're not good enough. You can't save yourself that way. We are saved only by faith alone, in Christ alone, and all that he has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Faith in Christ's work. But friends, true saving faith is always accompanied by obedience. It's like you've heard the phrase, where there's smoke, there's fire. And the inverse of that is, where there's no smoke, there's probably no fire. And where there's no obedience, there's probably no faith. There's probably no genuine faith. Here's the way Charles Spurgeon said it. Faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God, trusts God. And he that trusts God, obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. They're a bundle. They go together always. But don't mix them up thinking that your work or your obedience is saving you because that's never the case. We're not justified by works of the law. It's only through faith. But genuine faith proves itself in works, obedience. So how did Abram obey? Well, let's look, see what he does. Uh, it says in verse 4, <clears throat> um, Lot goes with him. 
Uh, Lot is Abram's nephew. You see in verse 5, Lot, his brother's son. Um, So Abram's brother was Haran. It tells us at the end of chapter 11 that he died. And so apparently Abram has taken Lot under his roof, under his care. And so Abram takes Lot. And he also takes Sarah, his wife, verse 5. And um, all of their uh, possessions, they gather up at the end of five, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So another thing that's making this uh, very difficult, I think, for Abram is the fact that he was called here to leave behind everything that was comfortable to him. If you go back to verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, leave behind uh, most of your extended family, your friends, your homeland, everything that was comfortable and familiar to you. I want you to leave it all behind, and I want you to go where? (laughs) Abram, that would be a, a logical question, right? Where are you taking me, God? And he just says, well, I'll show you later. Uh, there's no, Abram doesn't, isn't told where God is leading him. And yet still, Abram went as the Lord told him. So here's where um, Abram went, just a, a map to kind of show you uh, his journey. So Mediterranean Sea here. Um, so the nation of Israel is kind of uh, in this area here. So you see Egypt here, you got modern-day Saudi Arabia here, you got Jordan kind of about right here, and so here's Haran, and so this is where Abram and his family settled after they left the the town of Ur, and we we got a great lesson on geography today in our Discipleship Hour class from John Connor, did a great job giving us some background, we looked at a map very similar to this, Um, and so Abram leaves, and he travels southward, And we're told here in verse 6 that he stopped in Shechem, and he goes a little further, and he camped, it said, like right in between uh, Bethel and Ai, and uh, Jerusalem is kind of very close here, and uh, it says in verse 9 that he winds up in the Negev or the Negev desert, Uh, and so the whole trek is about uh, 800 miles, and so that's radical, God-trusting obedience, isn't it? And the whole time Abram is going, he doesn't know where he's headed. He doesn't know exactly where his final resting place would be. But here is something else that would have made this even more difficult for Abram to obey the commands. And we find it here in verse 6. Notice what verse 6 says. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah, At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. That's an important verse. Abram is entering into this land, and it's filled with Canaanites. It's not an empty, open land. It's filled with enemies. One thing to remember here, friends, is that Moses is the one who wrote Genesis. And Moses wrote Genesis to give to the Israelites shortly after the time that Israel was delivered from Egypt in the Exodus, and at about the time that Israel was getting ready to go into the Promised Land themselves. And so Moses is writing Genesis to give to the Israelites to encourage them. 
in the task that they were about to engage in, going into the Canaan, the land of Canaan. And you might remember when Israel attempted to go into the land of Canaan, a lot of them got scared, right? They sent out spies, they checked it out. Ah, these people are huge, there's Canaanites everywhere, we don't want to go. And they came back, it was only Caleb who was ready to go, but they were afraid. And so Moses is now writing this to the Israelites, and what he's saying is, you know what, your father Abram, had to go into the land of Canaan, and guess what? The Canaanites were in the land when he went in there too. So this struggle is not unique to you, Israel. Abram had to face the Canaanites also, and you know what? He obeyed. He went into the land. He did what God told him to do. And so therefore, you should too. And by extension, we can apply that even to this current day, and we can say, yeah, Abraham obeyed God, God was with him, and therefore you and I need to obey God too and trust him in the same way no matter how difficult or challenging that might be. Now you might ask, how how can you apply that, make that application? Because look what Romans 15 says. Whatever was written in former days, like in the book of Genesis chapter 12, was written for our instruction, for instruction to the church that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this is Moses' point. He's saying, Abraham obeyed. It was hard, but he obeyed. But it's no harder for you, Israelites. So obey. And to you, believer in Christ, today, obey. Even when it's hard. Obedience when it's easy. Anybody can do that, right? But obedience when it's hard, when it doesn't cost you anything, or when it does cost you something, that's a whole nother story. And God is saying here, obey me, even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when you have to sacrifice, even when you have to take risks, even when you're not sure where you're going, even when you don't know what the future holds. Obey the commands of God. We can apply this in a variety of different ways, kind of more simple ways. I mean, I know sometimes it's it's hard to get up on Sunday mornings when you've had a long week. Will you get up and come in obedience to God? I mean, it's hard to apologize to that person who you're still kind of mad at and forgive that person. But will you obey even though it's hard? It's hard sometimes to give to the church on Sunday morning when the budget is tight. (laughs) But will you obey and do what God says even when it's hard? There's a wonderful principle here that we see in this passage a principle of obedience, which is this. The more you obey, the more God reveals. He doesn't give you everything up front. He didn't give give Abram very much up front, but notice what happens in verse 7. After Abram had made this journey, verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So Abram obeyed, and now God steps up and says, okay, here's some more information. You're in the land that I'm giving you. This is the place I wanted you to go. This is the land I'm going to give you. God didn't tell him that at the beginning. But when Abram obeyed, God gave him more information. This this is the Christian life. It's not a leap of faith, like a lot of people say. It's a walk of faith. It's one step after another, one step at a time bit by bit, little by little, and each time you obey, God reveals more and more. That's what we see in Abram's life, 
And that's the promise based on Romans 15 for all of us who will obey the Lord. Now, there's one last thing we see that characterizes the person of faith. The person of faith witnesses in the world. The person of faith believes the word and then obeys the commands and then witnesses in the world. So notice what happens here in verse 7. After the Lord appears to Abram, what does Abram do? It says, so he built there an altar to the Lord. He built an altar. Then verse 8 says the same thing. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with, the Beth, with uh, Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he, again, built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So he's building these altars. Um, you know, an altar, probably like you know, kind of a rectangular object, maybe something like the communion table here made of stone or brick. Um, You've got to remember this is long before there's a, a tabernacle or a sanctuary of any sort or you know, certainly not a temple. So there's no place to worship here. And so these altars were built as a place where people would gather to have an encounter with God. And so that's why he's building these altars. But don't forget the context here, what I just told you. The land is filled with Canaanites. You know what Canaanites do? They are pagans. They are idol worshipers. If you look at verse 6, again, going down to this place called Shechem, when he gets to Shechem, Shechem was known as a sacred site of pagan worship. You look at this uh, tree or oak of Morah in verse 6 also, that was also known to be a pagan site where pagans would gather to receive oracles from these pagan deities with the tree serving as a kind of intermediary between them and the pagan deities. And here comes Abram with his wife and Lot and his possessions, and according to chapter 14, 318 other people, and he comes right in the middle of the land of Canaan among all these pagans, and he settles right down, and he builds an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. <laughs> right in the face and the sight of all of them. I mean, that's an act of courage there. That's an act of faith. He's not worried what the pagans are going to think of him. He's going to worship his God. He's going to build his altar, and he's going to call out. And sometimes I, I notice, and I've even done it myself, you know, you get into a restaurant, and the conversation kind of starts to turn to spiritual matters, and, and you kind of lower your voice a little. <laughs> kind of get down to a whisper a little bit, because, you know, what are these people going to think who are sitting in the booth next to me if they know I'm a Christian? So let's, let's talk quietly now. That wasn't Abram. Abram comes into the land, builds up his altar, and calls on the name of the Lord. Friends, just like Abram, you and I are on mission to the world. Our call is not to stay comfortable in our little cliques and huddles, protecting ourselves, refusing to take risks, not trusting God, making sure that everything is comfortable and secure for us. That's not the call to the Christian. It wasn't the call to Abram. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, a pagan land, and you and I as a church are settled in the secular land of Muncie, Yorktown, the state of Indiana, the United States of America. And our purpose here is that all families of the earth and all families of this community would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Friends, don't, don't be surprised if in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces you've got people all around you who don't believe like you do. They might be atheists, they might be agnostic, they might be Muslim, they might be witches. Don't be surprised at that. You live in a fallen world. Abram settled in a pagan land, we settle in a secular land. And that's exactly where God wants you. And that's where God wants us as a church. And in fact, that's kind of what we're doing here this morning, aren't we? This is kind of our way of building an altar, gathering in our community every Sunday morning and calling on the name of the Lord. Here's how Michael Goheen says it. The community called by God exists as the place where God begins His work of restoration and as a channel whereby that salvation might flow to all peoples, all to the praise of His glory. That's why we're a people who share the gospel. That's why we're a people who send missionaries. That's why we're a people who consider that maybe God would be sending one of us as missionaries to the far reaches of the world that all the families of the earth might be blessed. Well, let me conclude by just saying this. Uh, some of you might be thinking, <clears throat> you know, I'm kind of discouraged here because I don't believe the word like Abram, and I don't obey the commands like Abram, and I don't witness in the world like Abram, and so how could God possibly love me? How could God possibly use me? Friends, wait till next week, <laughs> and you're going to see how imperfect Abram is. You're going to see his sin come through loud and clear, and that's going to tell us that Abram needed a Savior just like you and I did. He was just as much in need of someone to save him as you and I are. We are not saved by being like Abraham. We're not saved in trying to model his life, although he is given to us as a model to inspire us, but that's not what our salvation is based upon. Abraham doesn't save. Abraham had to believe in the gospel just like you and I did. Do you know that? Abraham was saved by believing the gospel. Look what it says in Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That's Genesis 12.3. The difference is that the gospel was preached to Abraham as a promise yet to be fulfilled. So there's a lot he didn't know about that promise that you and I do. We are saved by a promise that has been fulfilled. And we know it because the Scriptures tell us. And we know that that promise has been fulfilled because Jesus came. The Savior, the hope of the world came. And He lived on our behalf. And He died on a cross on our behalf. And He's raised from the dead on our behalf. And now all of us are saved only by faith in Him. And what a blessing it is to live in this day and age when we know so much about the Savior that Abram didn't know. But in any case, we're all saved by one Savior through one faith with one hope. Abram looked ahead. We look behind to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the promise that we are all Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for your word, for the hope that it gives us, for um, this man, Abram, that you raised up as a man of faith. Father, would you help us to be men, women, and children of faith, 
that the hope of the gospel might spread to all the families of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.